I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. The Six Nations resumes this weekend after a weekend off and all eyes will be on Twickenham this Saturday as two old enemies, England and Wales, will face off. Both sides go into the game level with one win and one defeat so far. Defeat this weekend will end any chances of lifting the Six Nations for either side but both sides have been given injury boosts before the game England have sales centre Manu Tulangi to call upon once again. And meanwhile, Wales have Tilupi Falatau available for selection. We'll get stuck into the game in detail with the former Wales number eight, Scott Quinnell, who will join us later. Off the pitch, Six Nations were forced to deny claims made last week that South Africa were set to join the Six Nations from 2025 onwards. A story published by a national newspaper last weekend suggested the world champions would replace Italy in the new format but that has since been denied. We'll be speaking to the former Italy captain and head coach of Benetton Treviso, Marco Bortolari, about how Italian rugby reacted to this story and also about Italy's current role in the Six Nations with the Italians without a win in the competition since 2015. We'll also look ahead to the rest of the weekend's action and we'll be recapping the best of the Premiership and as ever, we'll get stuck into some of your questions too. Delighted to welcome back alongside me the former England centre, Tom May. Hello, Tom. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, one win, one defeat. Uh, England heading into round three. Um, whoever loses this is going to be scrapping for fifth place. Whoever wins it stays with an outside chance of uh, a title shot. So, um, what have you made of England so far? I think, look... We knew they were going to get a win against Italy and I think it's always difficult uh, for teams to um, come away with anything but getting criticised slightly when they play against Italy uh, because it, you know supporters just expect a, a complete runaway landslide. Um, I was so disappointed they lost up in Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think I was in here the, in the week of building up to it. Um, and... I think they were they were in the driving seat and they and they blew that opportunity, yeah. um, which I think is what makes it so disappointing. Um, they showed some good glimpses of what they were capable of, and I th- I think the likes of Stewart, Malins, Marcus Smith have shown us what the future of England rugby can be about. Um, I mean, the, the problem with Italy 
was a, it was a completely revised team as well, with all new units all around the place. And they were expected to do what they did, routine win. All I would say is they scored five tries away from home. France scored five tries against Italy at home. So they did what they had to do. But coming back from that, you know, it, England have yet to play at Twickenham. They've got, an, they've got the best percentage win ratio of any home nation side by quite a long way, actually. 85% of games they've won at home. So um, if they were to do that, then they've got Ireland at home and everything you know, is still on track. But it is, whilst you wouldn't say a must-win games in terms of Eddie Jones's tenure, because he's not going anywhere, so it's pointless even uh, suggesting <laughs> that, for this tournament, it is a seminal moment. It is, and listen, I think their biggest problem, they got, they've got France in Paris last up, mm. and having been in Paris, um, they are a force to be reckoned with. Um, that's, that said, I think the two, the two games they do have at Twickenham this year in, in Wales and Ireland, Ireland's going to be incredibly tough. Um, are Wales capable of, of turning up to Twickenham and turning over England at home? I don't think so. That said, I don't think they're going to they're going to roll over like I think many people might think they're capable of doing. I think I think they will be heavily boosted by that win that they got against Scotland. Um, and having started off so badly, I, th- I think that they're not they're not going to be that bad again. Um, and so England need to improve. Well, last time uh, you were here, we were, t- we were talking about considering alternative options to Manu Tulangi. Now, fast forward to um, this week, and he's fit again. He's going to go straight back in, isn't he? He's got to. Oh, he is. And, uh, you know, look, for the purpose of winning a game this weekend, that's exactly what needs to happen. M- my point being is, long term, England don't know where the replacement for Manu Tulangi is coming from. And they don't play that well, they don't give opportunities to players that have the potential to replace him um, enough as I think they should. As they like for like, or just as well, a... I'm not sure there is a like for like. Um, uh, but we need we need a um, a force to be reckoned with in the midfield. Atkinson hasn't really been given a shot from Gloucester. Um, and I think he has a he could have a role to play in the midfield. I think if you have two balanced players in the midfield that are fairly similar in the way they play, I don't think England have enough go forward. And I think that's that's been shown, especially up in Edinburgh. Actually, well, when you're talking about um, him at centre, but I mean last time out he was used as a winger in the autumn series. But if he is brought straight back in. Can you see it anywhere other than centre? I can't. Um, well, I can, but I don't think it should be. No, no yeah. I'd, <laughs> I, yeah, I think if he is going to come back in, yes, yeah, so I probably agree with you then. Um, it, if he is going to come back in, it should be in the centre. Um, but he is more than capable of playing on the wing. And actually, when he is on the wing, it, it's almost like his shirt number is just a number because he, he appears off those shoulders. He runs into the into the tight spaces that still attracts defenders and creates the space on the opposite side of the field. Well, Tom, you're, you're inter- you, you've been in the international centre. You've lined up opposite to Ilangi. Um What is it about him that makes him such a difficult opponent? He's an absolute nightmare. Um, I remember playing in a Northampton against Leicester game, which is obviously a big, big derby in the Midlands. And all week I knew I was defending at 13, which is obviously quite a tough place to defend anyway. And my whole thought was, this guy is not going to get past me. So I was getting up quickly in defence, you know, chop tackling as much as I could, 
first eight tackles, fine. But he just does not stop, doesn't go away. It's not like you can whack him and think, you know, if you leave a mark, someone will try and, oh, well, I'll run a decoy line next time. He just doesn't care. He'll keep coming back. He's relentless. The power doesn't go anywhere. Um, after those eight tackles, the next one was a fend and a bump. Then I scored. Then he scored a try, and it was like the board came up and I was off. But I think when you play against someone like that, the th- your focus is on him. It has to be. Because if you're not right or you're not in the right position physically, he'll either brush you off or he'll just he'll just go straight over the top of you. Now, that then roots you to the spot as a defender, which ultimately creates the space that, that teams are, are trying to so desperately and if to people do. And if people are clever, they fix you as a defender and there are gaps inside, outside for runners, long balls across, you know, short, short balls back inside and so on. Uh, so you, 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 it's effectively this, isn't it? You can put that defender where you want him and work around that. And I also think with Manu, it's not just one defender. In the build-up to a game, if people know that Manu Tuileng is playing, they'll speak to inside and outside saying, right, you have to support whoever is marking Manu Tuileng. And that's what draws the numbers into him and that's what creates the space. It's, it's, it's when he has the ball in hand, but also, more importantly, when he doesn't. Well, the big one is coming up, or a big one, is coming up at Twickenham this Saturday. England play Wales. Why don't we get the considered and measured thoughts of the former Welsh uh, number eight, Brees Lyon as well, a Richmond teammate of mine a long, long time ago, Scott Quinnell. Hello, Scotty. Moro, how are you? I'm all right, I'm all right. Uh, Can I just say, it's good to hear your voice again. We, <laughs> we're, 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 we're missing it on the TV, I tell you what. Half the, half the, half the time, the commentary was better than the games, let me tell you. You're missed, my friend. Um, what was the... Look, I mean, when I played, the Wales game wasn't quite as big as it had been before and after because Wales weren't quite as good. But what was it like in your, your day when you came back to Wales? Uh, well, very similar to, uh, <laughs> to, to your story. Of, unfortunately, I was on the other side of it. <laughs> it was, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? England were, were building up. Well, I played. I played against you in uh, 1994 in Twickenham, right. yep. uh, where you had you had a monster pack. You know, an absolutely monster pack. Um, you know, it was a great thrill. Mine played against Dean uh, Dean Richards, and uh, you know, we, uh, we could hardly get the ball off him all day. Shove it up his jumper, and just you know, sort of was the, the the big boy in the yard, you couldn't get the ball off, you know. It was just absolutely incredible. And, um, yeah, but we, we, we just lost you that day, but we won the championship yeah, um, right. in 94. In, in and, um, uh, yeah, and then England were building towards the 2003 World Cup. They had uh, they had the side that was building. You know, obviously, Johnny Wilkinson's came into it. You know, LOL was there. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, for me, right, the best player England had, uh, was Richard Hill the the number uh, the number mm-hmm. six Hill. I, I thought he was out, he was out, I was lucky to play with him on Lions doors. Uh, I was I was unfortunate to play uh, against him in, in in a Welsh jersey, England jersey, because oh he, he he was some player. He was some player, and uh, you know that win in '99 uh, that we we snuck in Wembley. Uh, you know we played we actually played better in ninety well two thousand in Twickenham where we went twenty two points to three up, and then all of a sudden Johnny Wilkinson grabbed the ball, kicked it in the corner. You had a scrum line out drive, line out drive. I think you beat this 
23-22 in the end. But, you know, it, that's not the way we went to the win anyway. You know what I mean, right? That's not the way we went to the win. But, yeah, you, you, the, England was certainly the side that uh, were building towards that World Cup. Look, Scott, um, both uh, teams have got players who are uh, potentially going to come back. We've discussed uh, to allow you for England. If, uh, if Faletau is available, is he, is he going to come straight back in? I think so. You know, when you have a look, we're looking for a bit of experience uh, in, in, you know, especially uh, in, in the pack where you lose. We've lost the likes of Tipperick. We lost, of course, Alwyn Jones, Ken Owens. We've lost a huge number of caps uh, uh, in there. And uh, I thought Jack Morgan did, did well against uh, Scotland. I thought Aaron Wainwright has, has been playing well. Ellis Jenkins, Tame Basham has, has been outstanding for the last, uh, you know, Autumn Internationals and Six Nations. But we need a bit of experience. We, we need an old head. We need... Uh, a British and Irish liar that can come and show a little bit of composure with a little bit of ball carrying uh, a bit a bit wider if we're going to get you know into those panels which I know you know Wayne Pe- Jones wants to do so um, I would definitely start with them and I'd say to Lupe I'd say hey come on you know we need a big 50 55 minutes out of you and then we can bring uh, you know some some of the other boys on Scott, two other players that are pushing for a start. Jonathan Davis, talking of old heads, and yeah. he came on obviously against Scotland, and then Josh Adams, who's back to fitness. Would, would you bring them straight back in? Um, I, I, I would, I would, because again, going for that, that experience, you know, uh, Jonathan Davis has been sort of in and out uh, of, of the squad. Uh, obviously, they brought him back in. He had a cameo appearance against Scotland. Came on, did well, showed up that defensive line. Um, and as well, he's got that left boot that has uh, been so devastating in the Lions jersey and the Welsh jersey. Uh, I think I, I think he needs to come back in. Um, I, I, and again, you know, Josh Adams, I think he's world-class, uh, you know, but, but, you know, on the wing. If we play him on the wing, he has the ability uh, to be able to score tries. And uh, the one thing, you know, Scott Williams, he scored a try in the, on, the, on the weekend for, for Schlesi. You know what I mean? He, he hasn't been in the squad. And, you know, I, oh, you know at, at 12, we need a, you know, solid, solid uh, 12, 13 partnership and uh, I know Tompkins uh, has played 12 uh, there, Owen Watkins has, has done well but I would definitely going to need the old head of John Davis in there on the, on the weekend, especially if you're going to unleash your Manu Tualangi on us. Um, Scott, we would be talking and I'd be majoring this season on the, the home advantage uh, point um, and I think that um, the display that Wales put in against Scotland had they not had the sustaining crowd behind them all game, and we know what it's like when you're at home, the Principality, and you know everything you do is being roared on. That was a sort of game uh, similar to Ireland, you know, who weren't you know weren't at home um, in France. Had they been at home, it might have gone the other way because it, that, you know it was very small margins. It's just that sustaining bit, and I just wonder this: it was a tremendously gutsy performance by the Welsh forwards and the Welsh ball carriers. Um, can they do that when they're away from home? If England get the crowd behind them, which is a different proposition, you know, with, uh, with England's win percentage, you know, being as high as, you know, as it is at Twickenham. 
Um, that's a very polite way of, of, of saying, you know, you know, are the prawn, ba- prawn sandwich brigade going to do us over on the weekend? Yeah, yeah. Just after, it, it, not, not, not my words, not my words, Boro. You know, I can't remember who said them now, but uh, they definitely were said. Uh, it, it, it's one of those where you go to Twickenham and when, you know, uh, they, 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 they get the singing, slow, start singing, and it's just an incredible atmosphere. It's an intimidating atmosphere because normally when they start singing, you know what I mean, England are putting the ball in the corner, they went to Drive, they want to drive line out, they want to do you know, they want to get the scrum, they want to get the scrum going. So if they are singing, you know that England are on the front foot. Uh, but it, uh, definitely, I think the home advantage is absolutely massive. We've seen that in the in the championship uh, this year so far, you know, it, you know, as well as as the principality uh, is intimidating for some of the other sides uh, that come down, you know, it, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a factor. Uh, but it's strange though because we tend like we we, we when the championship last. Last year, we won Grand Slams before, uh, where we've had three games away. Because mm. normally, it's easier for us to have England and Ireland at home because we know if we go to Dublin or we go to Twickenham, they're tough games to win, you know. Mm. And then if you can sneak in there, you know, the French one for us then uh, is, is is the big one at home because you know if you can if you can beat that French side, you've got an opportunity uh, of, of of winning stuff. But when you go to Paris, it's it's a different sort of atmosphere. I think Paris has been in the past. It's an atmosphere. You know, you, you just—I just love playing in France. I just absolutely love playing in Paris. And I thought the atmosphere was absolutely outstanding there. But the one place I didn't enjoy playing was Twickenham, but that's because you know, when when England get on top view, the crowd starts singing. It's a very intimidating place. Uh, Scott, look—I mean, realistically, either side loses this weekend. They're scrapping to not finish uh, fifth. Now, bearing in mind um, Wales are the defending uh, champions, and taking into account the vast number of injuries that they've had to key players. Um, how, you know, if it were to go wrong for Wales, how are the Welsh public, that's a sensible Welsh public, rugby public, going, yeah. to, going to, to, to react, given all those factors? Do you know what? It, it's one of those situations where I thought the big game for us was last week against uh, against Scotland. You know what I mean? If if, mm-hmm. if, if we'd have lost that one, then it's going to be a, a, a really disappointing because then it'd be tough to go to Twickenham and it'd be tough when the French pack comes over and the power of that French team comes over with the likes of, you know, Sean Edwards went in to come back and make a statement in the Principality Stadium. And then we had that Italy at home. If, then if you've won then, so winning that one, uh, you know, sort of uh, said, okay, no problem. We're, we're we're in this championship now. We need to go and compete. Uh, we need to go and compete in Twickenham, and and that's the big thing for me. Is we didn't come to Ireland. You know, I, I thought uh, our contact area wasn't enough. We were second best in the contact area. Uh, our scrum line didn't function particularly well. We didn't get enough ball, and then we didn't use the ball correctly. We we we. Some of those things out against uh, Scotland, but I, I'd like to see us go a bit, you know, more hard nosed uh, against England because this. I, I I generally think this England side, you know, it, I, I I would I would have preferred to play against this England because they, it looks like there's a few frailties there. You know mm. what I mean? If you can if you can get on top of them, if, if you can get your scrum going, and you know if you can get now you can get into the midfield. You can get all of a sudden then you know you can see a few cracks opening up, and uh, you know depending on who England. Picks, in, in those areas, you know. Um, so I, I would say to the Welsh side this weekend, you know what I mean. We need to go there hard nosed. We need to make sure the 
is good. We need to make sure we win the line now. We need to get John Davis uh, in pick Owen Watkins if he's picked. We need to get them over the game now. We need to get the big ball carriers in over that contact area. Anytime England have the ball, I would flood it with people. I would actually, if the first two people near the contact area, get over there, get your hands with the ball, make a nuisance, slow that English ball down. And if you could do that, you could frustrate England. But if you don't and they get on the front foot, then it's going to be a tough day at the office. So, but we won't have long to wait now, will we? Uh, it's great to speak to you, as always, mate. Take care. My pleasure. Cheers, boys. Well, that's Scott's template for winning <laughs> at uh, Twitter. He's not far off, is he? No, he's not. I think it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this game, not only because there's only a couple of games this year at Twickenham, but I think there's something always always there in, underlying this fixture, isn't there, between England and Wales. There's a, there's a real desire to... Uh, to get one over on the other nation. I, I tell you what is interesting, talking about the forward battle. Courtney Law's return, and I'm sure he will return, will bring extra bulk into the England back row, an extra line-out option, and put Itoji back where I think he's better anyway, uh, in the second row. So I think that's a positive thing. The only difficulty with all these things is, Tuolangi returns, this is prospectively, and Law's returns, you're still playing in units that are not untested, but you know, I haven't had the runs out against, you know, test match opposition. So whatever um, qualities there are there, there's, there's a little bit of, a, uh, of uncertainty as to, as to whether they'll go well. They could go as well as you like in training. That's not quite the same as it is under the pressure of an international. No, but look, I, th- I think we both know the impact that those two players specifically could have on, on this England team, uh, both ball in hand and, and, and more importantly, defensively. I think, you know, Scott's highlighting how, how Wales need to get over the gain line. Well, those two fellas could have a big impact on, on, on meeting them at the gain line. You were in Stade de France last week. It was a strange game at one point, wasn't it? I thought they were going to run away with it and then Ireland just kept in there. And, and in the end, I'm not saying should, but could have won. Yeah, I, I mean, what a what a fantastic! It's the first time I've ever been to the Stade de France, um, and to to be commentating on a game like that, uh, where all the fans were back in and going absolutely bonkers, um, for France to have scored early, I think made a big difference because it added a huge amount to the to the game straight away. Um, but yeah, I, I did at one point think that this was gonna it was gonna unravel pretty badly for Ireland, and they they somehow managed to find a way back into the game. Um, I think what's what's frightening for for other teams that are playing against France, and you know, I was talking about it just before I came in here, was is the size of the re- replacements that, yeah. have, that come on for for France. It's just you know, what are they feeding them on? Um, four blokes that are sort of well into their 20 stones. There's a lot of program weight going on saying that they're sort of 120 kilos. But, you know, the, the, the power and impact that they can make, um, combine that with the athletic and dynamic ability of their backs, which I think the, 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 the nature of, of that back line at the moment is, is incredible. Um, I'll tell you what I'm big on at the moment, this home advantage thing, because I think... Um, and there's no way you can prove this, obviously, but I just think it's a moot and an interesting discussion point. Had that game been played in Ireland and the um, momentum swings had occurred and the crowd had got behind the Irish in the way that they couldn't, obviously, down in Paris, it might have been one of these games where the home side yet again found a way to win. Now, France haven't played away from home and um, the signs are that they are much more consistent than they used to be and yet 
there remains a question mark because it's unanswered and it's on pause yet. Um, they're at Scotland this weekend, which is never easy depending on how, um, you know, multiple factors transpire. Um, I don't see them losing, but I... If there's one fixture... <laughs> yeah, it, yes, possibly, yeah. If there's one fixture that, that they could become unstuck on, I, I would highlight this one. Um, I think it's supposed to be pretty grim conditions again in Edinburgh. Um, the one thing I th- I think that stands France, it's France in, in very good stead. The focus that uh, Rafael Ibanez had after the games, I was talking to him, it, it, they just moved straight on now. Yeah. They're very different in the way that they, they sort of compose themselves. I think that might come from Sean Edwards. You know, he, I, well, I think it's a combination because, you know, Ibanez uh, and Edwards know each other really well from the Wasps days. You know, they're, they're both, well, Sean Edwards' uh, contribution in Rugby Union um, is legend now because, and his record speaks for itself, but Ibanez, relatively recent player, so he knows these things. He's brought that sort of harder edge. You know, and Galtier, um, quite against expectation when he's, being elevated to a national coach position when they normally go batshit bat crazy in, in, in France. Um, you know, he's turned out to be a level-headed guy, um, undoubtedly with the influence of other people around him, and now you've got a very focused uh, uh, management team as well. I think the, the way that you saw the coaches going around those players at the end of the game, they're obviously very close, um, and they're, they're, they're hugely focused. It, it Almost as you walked into the Stade de France, you felt like... Not only the team, but the fans also felt that there's something happening within French rugby that is really pulling towards France 2023. Yeah. Uh, and I think for world rugby, that's uh, and all the other teams going to the World Cup, it, they need to pay attention to this team because they're going to be a huge threat. Well, it makes great for the tournament. It's always yeah. good for the tournament when the host side uh, does well. And, you know, I'm of the opinion now, I just want the Northern Hemisphere side, you know, to, to do the business because... It's one World Cup only. That's all the Northern Hemisphere has got, no matter how many finals have, have been there. And, uh, you know, for the balance of rugby, it, it, you know, I, I would like it to, to be another one. I think, I think you know, let's, let's not just talk about France from that fixture, but, but Ireland, it, in terms of the way Andy Farrell was, was fairly measured in the way that he spoke after the game, I think... I think Ireland have to play games now without Johnny Sexton, a bit like England with Manitou Well, but funny you should say that because everyone's been saying it and so have I. Will he, you know, can he really see All the signs are, barring, you know, injury and whatever, he's perfectly capable of keeping himself fit, sharp, you know, right up to, you know, which is 18 months only now. And he is a considerable asset. They can play without him, but they are much, much better with him. Yeah, look, Carberry's shown, I think, especially in France, he hit some pretty big kicks over there from, from tight positions. He, he obviously managed their win or the end of the game against the All Blacks in November. Um, and, and I think he's shown that he's very capable of stepping into Sexton's shoes. But I, again, I, I, should something happen to Sexton, which it does, um, they need to know where they're going to turn. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not sure they're, they're inclined to go anywhere else just yet. Well, a big story emerged last week suggesting that South Africa would be replacing Italy in the Six Nations from 2025. It has since been denied firmly by the organisers, but 
Let's speak to uh, Marco Bortolami, the Benetton Treviso head coach and former captain of Italy, who is on the line now. Hello, Marco. Hello, Brian. Hello, everybody. Um, what did you think when you first heard this uh, story? Well, it's, uh, it's something that's come up, uh, you know, in the last few years, honestly. Um, obviously, Italy result uh, hasn't been good enough. Uh, but, you know, bringing him uh, a different team and especially a team outside Europe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it doesn't make that sense to me. Um, obviously, um, we have been uh, yeah, disappointed or surprised in Italy uh, because the Six Nation is, um, is a big value for us in terms of exposure of the sport in Italy uh, and, so, and commercial-wise as well. Um, so, you know, we've got to stay in the Six Nation and, and uh, we've got to be uh, as competitive as possible. Well, let me read the statement out from the Six Nations. It says, Six Nations rugby, comprising the six unions of federations and CVC, wish to confirm that they are not entertaining any discussion nor developing any plans to add or replace any participating union. All its energy is focused on the current strategic discussions regarding the July and November international windows and the structure of the global season and to ensure a positive outcome for the development of the game. Now, that is a strong denial from the Six Nations. Do you think that will be the end of this story or do you suspect something is going on behind the scenes? Um, I, I think there's uh, probably commercial reasons why um, the Six Nations uh, w- would be interested uh, to involve South Africa in the tournament, and that's purely on uh, TV money and commercial commercial opportunities. Uh, but my question is, does it make sense for the tournament, for the history of the tournament, and for the supporters as well? Um, so, I mean, if if the Six Nations is going to be involved in a global season, in a global tournament, uh, and then we have a separate separate trophy, that maybe makes sense, you know, to shift some of the games of the November windows in a different period, maybe mm-hmm. during the Six Nations. Um, but honestly, to involve another team and South Africa and the Six Nations, no, it doesn't doesn't make that sense. Marco, if this did happen, what would it do to Italian rugby? Um, that's, well, to be completely honest and straightforward, it's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, because uh, our sport is not, uh, you know, is growing, but Six Nations is, is the most important time of the year for rugby in Italy. It's the only period where rugby is, uh, um, you know, sometimes on the front page on, on the newspapers if we get a big win. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it's going to be a disaster. Um, look, Everyone is disappointed in Italy's results. I'm sure no more than, than you and the rest of the people involved in Italian rugby. So what hope is there for the future that you can, you can get better? I mean, the problem is when Italy make strides forward and start to get better, then so do all the other teams as well. So it's very difficult in that sense. Uh, what, what is coming up that gives you hope? Um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, as you said, everyone tried to get better. Um, what gives me hope is the performance on the on the 20s uh, last year and this year as well. Italy beat England two weeks ago and, you know, they will compete hard against uh, Ireland next week. And that, you know, we got to make sure those players or at least, you know, the majority of those players can make the next step into professional rugby. Um, Benetton and Zebra play a big part. And, you know, that's my job at the moment to make sure those young players have opportunities. 
And, uh, and this year we developed Menoncello and Marine that are, even if they're still on the 20s, um, they are involved with the, with the senior team uh, in the Six Nations. So we got to make sure uh, we create a pathway between uh, um, under 20s and the professional rugby, which is not easy. Uh, it's not easy because, you know, we only have two teams. Uh, but, you know, we can make it work. And, uh, you know, that was gives me hope because we see a lot of young talent and uh, and physical potential coming through. Um, on the other side, uh, you know, in the last few years, um, we lost many games that we could have won. So we got to make sure then the rugby side, uh, you know, at the very top end, um, we learn the lessons and then we deliver on the day. Marco, um I'm in full agreement with you that, that we shouldn't um, have South Africa entering into, into the Six Nations as is. Um, with regards to promotion and relegation, do you think that's a fair enough argument from, from some of those people that, that are sort of talking about it as an option? Yeah, again, it makes sense uh, from a, um, a purely performance point of view. Um, so I think uh, we, we we don't have anything anything against it. Then on the other side, from a commercial point of view, what's what's happened if uh, you know Italy? You know, we are the the last team who joined the tournament. But what happened if Scotland or Wales or Ireland has a bad year in the tournament, or even England? You see, England last year they had probably their their worst tournament in the last twenty years. So what's happened if one of the other teams that you know got to be relegated? So that's the big question is that, and the answer is straightforward. No one of these teams can afford not to be in the Six Nations. Um, so we got to make sure. I, I think I still believe Italy is the best option, the best team outside the Five Nations to be involved in the Six Nations. We got to make sure we progress and and we perform on the day. Um, so, uh, to go back to your question, you know, it makes sense from a, from a sports point of view, from a performance point of view. It doesn't make sense from a, from a financial point of view for all the six nations. Uh, just a last question, Marco. Um, Ireland, uh, this, the, the next game, uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough day. Um, Ireland is, uh, you know, they lost against France, but they have been competitive. So, um, they're playing exceptional rugby at the moment. I think the quality and uh, you know the, the 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 rugby they play is outstanding. They play flat to the line. They're very physical with the forwards. They can move the ball. So it's going to be all around channel uh, mm-hmm. challenge for Italy. Um, they got to make sure um, you know they learn and they use this this game as well to understand to figure out um, the style of play and the style of game they want to play uh, to put themselves in the best position to maybe have a chance of winning against Scotland and Wales in the last uh, in the last two games um, so i can see you know a tough game for italy but if 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 they use this opportunity to start to understand how they want to play the game and how they want to compete and be effective, um, you know, can be can be some value. Um, at the moment, to be honest, in the first two games, I haven't figured out how Italy want to play the game and different areas of the field, and that you know will lead not to be in the game at all. Marco, I'm very pleased that you could join us. Thank you very much uh, for your words on the subject. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Tom, um, so why do you, I mean, you were, you were quite firm then. You, you uh, know, know to South Africa as is. Yeah, just uh, I think the tournament, Marco mentioned it, the history of the tournament. Now, sometimes 
this game has a habit of thinking too traditionally. But I think when it comes to a tournament like this, the energy that's created at this time of the year, it, it's not a product that's broken. Now, I know it's taken in some <laughs> substantial investment, um, but that doesn't mean you then turn it into almost like a global tournament. Um, I don't see any reason why, yes, it's a tournament, and yes, we should be talking about developing rugby, but as you hear from, from Marco, it, it's helping develop rugby. I mean, in, from my point of view, I don't want to be helping the South Africans develop. Well, the, th- the thing is, um, I can't say where this came from because it's confidential, the source, at CVC, but they uh, didn't have any plans as far as I was aware, when I spoke to him, he's quite high up, um, uh, to uh, replace Like for Like South Africa with Italy. They were more concerned with trying to get the global season aligned and get the Autumn Internationals and the uh, Six Nations um, to be of better value. Now, you know whether that meant the bundling of uh, TV rights, which wouldn't make sense, but would probably take it off, would take a lot of it off uh, free-to-air, which I wouldn't be in favour. Um, that's a different matter. But that that um, replacement uh, theory, I, I doubt whether it comes from them. It doesn't make any sense. And the, the thing is this. Um, they've got to sort out the promotion and relegation because until you give the Tier 2 sides in Europe and the Southern Hemisphere an automatic right to get to the top table, they will never become self-sufficient. However, you can't do that every year because it wouldn't work. And I do think the fairest thing would be to say maybe every three years or whatever, you play a home and away against the top side from the top tier because then you could see whether they genuinely were. Because I don't think Georgia, who are the current favourites, are better than Italy. I really don't. No, I, I think, think they're when, very close. When you come to that playoff situation, as they do in the top 14, yep. bottom team goes down, second bottom plays off. Yep. Uh, you'll find that there is a massive gulf in, the, in the, difference. The, the real problem is this, is because the tier two competitions are not advanced... What it means is when you go down, you're in the wilderness, whereas in the premiership or uh, if you go down, there's a path back up. And if you're good enough, and they generally are because they're better teams, they can come straight back up. The problem is if you haven't got a credible second tier, you're saying virtually out you go for, forever. Mm. And if you had a credible second tier, you could say, well, OK, get better, come back. And then it would be a thing, and it would be a better thing anyway, because it would be marketable, and so on. So that's where they need to get um, their, you know, their energy. And people are forgetting about this. The, the economic power of Italy and South Africa, I mean, you know, Italy are a substantial country with substantial GDP. And you've got to remember, this are knock-on effects of this. What would, why would you want to have alliance tour in South Africa if they're playing the Six Nations every yeah, year? Yeah. No, there's no point. It changes uh, everything. changes all the dynamics. What about the autumns? That changes those dynamics. As you say, it gives South Africa uh, a route into um, the uh, Six Nations to play all these teams every year. And then uh, in their uh, autumns, depending on what they're... Pre- I don't know, would they come back to Europe? Would they go down, down under? But people... See, this is where people think, oh, yeah, it would be great. South Africa, world champions, etc., etc. Without thinking about all the knock-on effects. And they are their big ones. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And, I, you know, look at November. Look at the buzz that's created when South Africa do come up because it doesn't happen all the time. The All Blacks are coming this November for, for England to play. And I, I know already that there's a huge amount of focus on that, on that game um, from a fan's perspective. And, it, you know, if you, if you create something whereby it's a, it's a regularity, it's almost like 
the, the tournament that wasn't really a tournament in, in November in, yeah. in, in, in two years ago. Um, well, you could make it a tournament quite easily. But it was everyone was a bit like, mm, yeah. okay, weren't really that bothered. And I don't, I don't want to turn the Six Nations into a tournament where it's a bit like, uh, it's all well, changed. Well, let's, let's get these things. People saying, well, we're just making it Seven Nations. The reason you can't do that is there isn't room in the calendar. Now, I know people um, decry uh, this point, but the calendar is so full, with rest days and so on, with one extra team, the competition stretches probably over another three weeks because you have to have that, that you know, another rest week. And it's simply too long because you've got clubs who want their players back and it doesn't work. So you can't do that. Um, and I, it, it never ceases to amaze me how simplistic people are when they, they look at this. That would be great. This would be great. Well, if you were to con- even consider this move, in my opinion, you would have to have a thorough, thorough study of all the potential effects globally uh, for, for, for Northern Hemisphere rugby, for club rugby in England and France. That's a huge thing because they are the paymasters. And you do this at your peril because, as you say, the Six Nations is the best tournament, international tournament in rugby in the world. It is making money. Why would you do this for the possibility of it being even, well, the arguable possibility of it being a bit better and then not addressing all the downsides um, and dealing with those as they come? Premiership Rugby has announced the launch of a subscription service which will allow supporters to play four. 99 to watch a single Gallagher Premiership match of their choice and 6.99 to watch all the fixtures from a single round of the league. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's brilliant. I think I think the more ways that we can open up the game to to more eyes uh, and and more individuals uh, the better. I think uh, one thing I I remember from playing in France is that all of the league games are on Canal Plus at various different times of the day, whether you're using it on red button or um, or you're watching one game or you want to watch another one, uh, various different times of the day, and and all of the games will get a huge watch. Now, obviously, there's a that's almost number the first sport in, in France, uh, but I think this is a brilliant way for 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 the rugby playing public to to have access to other games that they wouldn't potentially watch and not just the one that's being being played by by BT. Um, and I, I, you know, I think it's a great opportunity that, that Premiership Rugby have, 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 have taken advantage of. Um, there must have been a contractual clause line to do this. Obviously, I'm just surprised BT have allowed it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's interesting that they would would allow Premiership Rugby the the chance to do that. Whether there will be BT will then take the games that are only in and around specific times of the day. Um, you know, perhaps that that might that might have some effect on what, what games are, are available. They'll obviously get first dibs, I would think, on on which ones they want to take. Um, but I think you know, why not try and open it up to to as many as possible? Um, well, I was going to say that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact. But there is one thing I do want to mention: very sad news. Um, over the weekend, Steve Black was a key member of the backroom team at Newcastle and indeed was a mentor to many other uh, players, uh, not from his clubs, Johnny Wilkinson being one as well. You um, have worked with him. Uh, I met him several times. I didn't work with him. He always struck me as not a unique individual, but a rare one. 
uh, in the way that he thought and approached rugby. Um, uh, t- tell me about Steve. Uh, listen, you mentioned the, the way that he approached rugby. I think it's the way he approached life. Uh, fair point. Sorry, my fault. I think um, that is one of the f- things that really stood out for me when I first met him is, is the energy that the guy had was just ridiculous. It was off the scale. Um, the positivity, the, the, the drive that he, he put into young players that were finding their feet, that at times were finding it very difficult. Um, he knew whether to give you a boot up the backside or give you a big blacky hug. Um, one was decidedly better than the other. Um, and <laughs> you can choose which. Uh, I think, I think the, pe- the, the best way to, to, to measure the impact that he had on people is, you know, no matter whether you met him once or twice, two or three times, um, or you worked with him as I did for 10 years, no one's got anything but positive things to say about him. Um, and there are still things that he said to me as I was growing up as a young player, which actually it was more like, they're like life messages. Mm. And there are still things there that, that stand out to me, just phrases that he used um, that I will, you know, take with me through, through my life, for, you know, whether I'm, you know, whether it's to do with my family or whether it's to do with things I'm doing at work. I think, I think he had a really uh, unique way of looking at life. And, and, and I think we can see by the outpouring of emotion, not just in the Northeast, but across the sporting world. Let's not forget he worked quite a lot within football as well, Fulham, Newcastle United, um, among others. Um, and, you know, he's going to be sadly missed. Well, Everything you've said there has been echoed in many discussions I've had, um, not, not since the, the, the sad news of his death, but before, um, and as his career was developing, and, and everyone has said the same thing. Um, Steve Black, uh, rest in peace, you will be very sorely missed, and thank you for your contribution to rugby sport and life in general. That is all we have time for this weekend with Brian Moore's full contact and The Telegraph. Big thanks to my co-host Tom May and my guests Scott Quinnell and Marco Bortolami for joining me. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous ones by subscribing to the Full Contact podcast channel. I'll be back next week to recap the weekend's games when we will know the result of the huge clash at Twickenham between England and Wales. And we'll see whether Scotland have managed to do what seems very unlikely but possible and beat France. Uh, Until then, it's goodbye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.